0: Merciful and mighty. God in three persons, the Blessed Trinity. Mercy and might perhaps never came together as poignantly as in the account that I want to share with you from the life of Jesus. As John was reflecting on the life of Jesus, he placed this encounter that I'm going to share with you at the turning point of Jesus' life. Unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John chose to summarize in in one action of Jesus the turning point, the tragic turning point in his life. Matthew, Mark, and Luke say that it was all of his career, in a sense, that took Jesus to the cross. John wouldn't disagree with that, but he would pinpoint it in one moment, and his entire gospel, the gospel of John, hinges on this one moment. You remember before we left for Christmas vacation, we'd spent two sessions looking at where Jesus went to the temple and where Jesus claimed that he was the light. And then, as if that wasn't enough, He healed a man born blind to demonstrate the truth of his statement in the temple. He not only said, I am the light, but then he lived it out in his actions with that man who was born blind. That caused people to be very frustrated with Jesus, very angry at Jesus, and they picked up stones to kill him for some of the things he said after that about being united with the Father and about being God himself in human form so he had to leave Jerusalem and he went over to the other side of the Jordan for safety and when he was over there a message came to him and the message was a very sad message the message was that one of his best friends lay dying back near Jerusalem where Jesus had almost been assassinated just a short time before got to interrupt one second. Brad, can we turn off the monitor over there? Thank you. I think that's what that is. So, he got the word that his good friend Lazarus, the man in whom's, whose home Jesus and his disciples had stayed. Some scholars say that, that it was probably his home base when he was around the Jerusalem area, much like the home of Peter was his home base in Capernaum up in the north of Galilee when he was in that area. And, and you'll remember Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, of whom we have a number of stories. The one, of course, being when Martha was so worried with preparations and Mary sat at Jesus' feet and Martha came in and remonstrated against her sister to Jesus and said, Lord, tell her to help with the work. And, and Jesus, I think, smiled and said, Martha, Martha, you're so worried about so many things. Uh, Mary has chosen the better part And it will not be taken from her The better part was to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn We have other stories of Mary and Martha We have the story following this one Where Mary anoints Jesus for his burial By breaking the perfume and by pouring it over his feet And there someone else remonstrates against her It's Judas Iscariot who says This money should have been given to the poor And Jesus says a strange thing. He says, the poor you have with you always. But me, you'll you'll only have me a little longer. She's anointed me for my burial. This was the home. This was the family. These were the people that Jesus got the message from that said, Lazarus, our dear brother, is dying. And Jesus stayed right where he was for two more days. A strange thing. You remember in Capernaum when, when uh, 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 the ruler, of the synagogue, came to Jesus and said that uh, his daughter was dying. Jesus immediately went. When the woman reached out and touched Jesus, the hem of Jesus' garment, he immediately stopped. But here he hears about his dearest friend, or one of his dearest friends. The 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 Johannine uh, Gospel, the jo- John's Gospel says that this was the one Jesus loved, Lazarus. Well, he loved everyone, but there must have been a special love. And he hears that he's dying, and he stays. And then after two days, he tells his disciple, his disciples, let's, let's go to Bethany. Let's go back to Jerusalem. Bethany is very near Jerusalem. And they said, Lord, they just were trying to assassinate you there. Are you kidding? You don't want to go back there. And Jesus says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. And he goes on to say, I'm going back to wake up Lazarus. And they say, well, if he's asleep, Lord, he'll he'll wake up by himself. And Jesus says bluntly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. And then good old Thomas, he says, Well, if he's going to Jerusalem to die, guys, let's go up and die with him. This is the same Thomas of whom we've become acquainted as the doubting Thomas. Perhaps he wasn't perseverant in faith, but he was courageous. Each society and each epoch has different virtues that they elevate. And ours doesn't hold courage up very high. But in the ancient world, courage was one of the highest virtues. And Thomas says, thinking he's staring death in the face, well, let's go die with Jesus then. And they all left. On his arrival, Jesus found that, Jesus, that uh, Lazarus had already been dead for four days. And Martha, the busy one, the one who's always worried about things, is first to greet Jesus. Jesus is outside the compound of their house, most likely. Martha comes out to him, and she says, looks him in the face and says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. It's interesting that in the Gospel of John, this is the last of Jesus' seven signs. And the first of his signs happened way back in Cana, where he turned the water into wine, where there was a problem, and his mother hinted that he could do something about it. And here, now in his last sign, is Martha hinting that perhaps he could do something about it. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus Gives her a lesson in theology. He says, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know he'll rise in the resurrection of the last day. She knew her theology. She knew the Pharisaical theology of the day. And that isn't a negative word. It was the theology of the Pharisees. And then Jesus said to her, after she said, yes, I know he'll rise again on the resurrection of the last day. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. And I am the life. And he who puts his trust in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and puts his trust in me will never die. Do you believe this? He puts the question to her. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world. She sounds a lot like Peter in Peter's great confession when Jesus turns to Peter and says, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, on this rock, I'll build my family, my, my church, my called out ones, my saints. Her theology is good. She knows the titles. She knows the theology. And unlike some of the others, she even knows that these titles should be attached to Jesus. But Raymond Brown puts it this way in his commentary on John. Throughout the incident involving Martha, we see that she believes in Jesus, but inadequately. She addresses him with lofty titles. She regards Jesus as an intermediary who is heard by God, but she does not understand that he is life itself. Martha's general understanding of the resurrection on the last day is scarcely adequate in the present situation, Brown says. For in John, the life that conquers death is a present reality in Jesus Christ. She had belief. She had an accurate theology. But it was an inadequate theology because it did not bring into account that she was looking into the life, into the face of life itself. She had the titles right. She had the theories right. But her belief was not deep enough. I wonder about our faith sometimes. Number one, we need to work on the accuracy of what we think about Jesus. We're woefully ignorant. Some of us don't even measure up to Martha in that she understood the titles, she used the titles, she applied them to the right person. And some of us need to work harder at that, learning who Jesus was, what he did, and why he did it, who God is, and what his salvation history encompasses. Some of us have set our brains on a hat rack when it comes to our faith. And at a college, there's no excuse for that. In fact, in the Christian life, there's no excuse for that. But some of us have gotten the doctrines all correct. And we've written good papers on them, and good that we have. But we're not looking into the face of Jesus Christ in our own lives. We're not bringing his presence to bear on the current situation of our own lives, on the tragedy or the joy or the confusion of our lives. And so Jesus remains a concept to be believed rather than a person to be trusted. Martha goes back in and gets Mary. And Mary comes out. And Mary, characteristic of her passionate self, doesn't stand and talk to Jesus like Martha. She throws herself at his feet and weeps on them. But she says the exact same sentence that Martha had said. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But she said this from a fallen position at Jesus' feet, a position of worship, of passion, of devotion, of commitment, of dedication, as Marty's saying about Richard Geyer puts it this way in his book, Incredible Moments with the Savior. Both sisters approached Jesus with identical words. But whereas Martha said them to his face, Mary cried them at his feet. Maybe that's why the one evokes a theological truth, your brother will rise again, while the other evokes Jesus' tears. Twice the scriptures blot the tears of our Lord on a hill overlooking Jerusalem as he weeps for the nation, and on the way to a friend's grave as Jesus weeps with those who grieve. What an incredible Savior. Weeping not just for us in our sin, but with us in our suffering. Weeping not just for us in our sin, but with us in our suffering so strange that one with such absolute power would surrender so quickly to so small an army of tears but he does Jesus weeps at this moment God incarnate God in human flesh the almighty son of God stands with this this dear family at the loss of their brother he knows what he's about to do That's obvious because he told the disciples, I'm glad that he died so that you might believe after you see what I'm going to do. He knows what he's going to do. But there's Mary at his feet weeping and saying, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have had to die. And Jesus, after a few other comments, begins to weep himself. Take that in. Picture it in your mind. The same Jesus who threw out the tax collectors for, and, and the money gatherers, money exchangers—I mean, from the temple—the same Christ that later would stare death in the face with incredible courage and lay down his life for many—is reduced to sobbing and tears. He says, "Where did you lay him?" And they say, "Come and see." John is full of irony. There's one other place where the words come and see happen in the Gospels. It's when the first disciples decided to follow Jesus. And they asked Jesus where he's staying and what he's about. And he says, come and see. And in John, there's a sense that he's saying, come and see life as it is. And here at the turning point in his life, he says, Jesus, where have you laid him? And they say, come and see. And the inference is, now we're going to go look at death. In the one instance, we come to Jesus and find life. In the other We come to a grave and find death. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. In fact, it says he was angry. This word is used on a number of occasions and always expresses anger. What in the world could Jesus have been angry about? Some have suggested he was angry at the lack of faith. I doubt that. It's a possibility, but I doubt it. He'd just been moved to tears by Mary's weeping at his feet. I, I don't think it was a, a chide against their f- lack of faith. But I think it was anger at all of the work of the evil one. Could you not help but be moved over the holidays when you heard about 400 hostages being taken in Lima, Peru and held at gunpoint, 83 of them still there today as we sit here in comfort? Probably if there's not a, some sort of resolution, some of them will be shot. Does that not make you angry? Did you not read the story about the the little girl who was murdered in Boulder, Colorado? Does that not evoke anger? You see, Jesus was angry at some things. And we should be angry at those same things. He was deeply moved. He said, take away the stone. Martha says, but he's been dead four days, Lord, and... The odor will be very bad. It's obvious her faith is not adequate. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Then he prays to his father on behalf of the people around him. And when he finished his prayer, Jesus called out, screamed, in fact, in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And I'm sure there was a moment of waiting. They'd rolled away the stone. They waited there for a moment. And then they heard the crunching, the muffled crunching of grave clothes, feet hitting the floor. And they saw Lazarus still wound up like a mummy coming out of that grave and moving. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and unbind him. That is an amazing account in the life of Jesus and John tells it in an amazing way. Only two sentences tell the actual miracle. Unlike us, we would have spent pages and pages on the miracle. He spends most of the time describing the people involved and then the astounding, the blinding, the dazzling miracle of Jesus Christ happens like that. And Jesus Much like when he raised the the young girl from the dead and the parents were going crazy with joy, Jesus said, would somebody get her some soup? You know, She's probably hungry. She's been dead. Uh, Much like that, everybody's leaping around. They're scared out of their wits. There's their dead brother, Lazarus. The grave clothes, he's trying to pull them off. And Jesus says, would somebody just help him get the grave clothes off there? Unbind the poor guy. I want to ask a couple questions in closing. And then on Wednesday, I want to take this story and apply it to our own situation at Westmont and see what we can learn from it. Well, let me do it this way. Let me just close with this two-sentence quote from Richard Geyer, and then we'll do some more reflection on this story on Wednesday. It was an incredible moment when Lazarus came forth from the tomb. It revealed that Jesus was who he said he was, the resurrection and the life. But it also revealed something else, the tears of God. And who's to say which is more incredible, a man who raises from the dead or a God who weeps? Let's pray. Father, we wish to experience your life. We wish to have our theology well honed, our beliefs well understood. We want to plumb the depths of truth as best we can, but we also want to weep at your feet to dedicate ourselves to you. Just stay in silence as Marty closes us with a song.